This week's parsha, Parshas Bahar Buchu Kaisai. The beginning of Parshas Bahar starts off with a pasuk, Vayidaber Hashem Moshe Bahar Sinai Lamer, and then it proceeds to describe all of the halachas of Shemitah. And it's strange that the Pasuk, which normally just says, Vaidabra Hashem Omeisha Lemar, suddenly in this week's parsha puts in a, an extra two words, Bahar Sinai. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu about Shemitah on Har Sinai. And Rashi, of course, asks the world famous question, Ma'inin Shemitah Eitzel Har Sinai. What does Shemitah have to do with Har Sinai? If you want to be very yeshivish and you want to, and you want to basically say, you know, it's apples and oranges, it's not, there's no shaykhas to one another, you always say, mining tree there, it's by Sinai. What does that have to do with, what are you, what are you talking about? What is, what does one thing have to do with the other? Right? How can you even compare two things? Or how are you putting, why are you putting them together? Mining tree there, it's by Sinai. So Rashi says of shot, all the Mepharshim, every single one of them says, their own shatim about why, what is this Indian of Har Sinai? Why does the Rabbi Shalom Dafka by Shemitah stick in the fact that it was given by Har Sinai that there was some connection between Shemitah and Matan So for good measure, we're going to add one more shot to the pile of the Kesha between a potential possible option of what Shemitah and Taira and, and Mountain Taira have to do with one another. In recent years in Eretz Yisrael, since we came back to Eretz Yisrael, and there was there has been many much controversy about how to deal with Shemitah, because it's one thing when you're a private farmer. And you own a field in Eretz Yisrael, and you have to, you know, you have to basically uh, stop working in the seventh year, and it's going to be very, very difficult. But you're going to be able to do it. And the psukim describe the struggles of the individual farmer. But once you have a state, once you have your own country, and you have, you know, certain responsibilities, perhaps to the world and to major industries of importing and exporting and markets and it's altogether sometimes a different you know paradigm in how to deal with Shemitah and because of that there were many Paiskim that started becoming very creative and how to deal with the Indian of Shemitah and some were creative in a halachic sense which was okay dealing with with Bestin and, and, and with different uh, options within the framework of halacha as to how to grapple with selling selling fruits to the public and, and dealing with the major industries currently in Eretz Yisrael. But then there were some creative sak halachas that were issued. Until today, there's controversy. Although today, you know, many are saimach on those heterim. And the famous heter is a heter mechira that basically they sold Eretz similar to the way we do every every Pesach, that we sell our comics to a guy, they sell basically Eretz to a guy, to an Arab, 
and or whoever, some uh, you know token guy who is basically kind of the land, and that's sort of a doing an end run on all Elchashmita because it's only if it's Jewishly owned land, but if it's the whole Eretz is magically sold to a guy, now you have a heter mechira, and that was a. Uh, a psaq that was issued by certain Paiskim in Eretz Yisrael, and it became a very big lightning rod of controversy. Whether is that really a, a viable concept when it comes to Shemitah? Can you get away with that? Is, does that really work? Or perhaps it's sort of, you know, even if technically it may or may not work, but it's certainly not within the spirit of the law of Shemitah all of the inyanim of giving over the land, Shabbos Lashem, going and returning the land to its source and being able to express bitachin in the Rabbi Shalom. The Chazanish was perhaps the most vociferous voice against, against this Hatim And in the spring of 1938, which was really before the Medina was founded, it was a half a year into the Shemitah year, the Chazanish wrote a letter. And it was an open letter, and it was designed to show, to illustrate the importance of keeping Shemitah and not copping out um, from the Hilfa Shemitah by doing these heterim, by utilizing and employing these uh, you know, legal loopholes to get around Shemitah. The way the Chazanish wrote this letter was he didn't just some write it from the Chazanish and I'm you know I'm the God of Adar and I'm telling you it's wrong. He was very brilliant, the Chazanish, and he was especially eloquent in terms of his writing abilities. He had a beautiful pen which he wrote so poetically with. And many of the Igrisuks of him that we have from the Chazanish, they're masterpieces, not just in what they're saying, but the way that they, they say it. And I want to read to you the letter that the Chazanish issued during that Shemitah of 1938. And this letter was widely circulated, and I'm going to read it in English. He writes like this, I am a farmer who earns his livelihood through working the land. Meaning the Chazanish was writing from the standpoint of a farmer. He wasn't a farmer. He was the greatest Hamachacham in the past hundred years, perhaps. But the Chazanish was writing from the standpoint of being a farmer, expressing the way that he is being margish the year as it's progressing. I am a farmer who earns his livelihood through working the land. This year of Shemitah has arrived, and I, as a member of the stubborn nation, Am have stubbornly determined in my heart to keep the Shemitah year in complete accordance with Allah. I was all alone, a laughing stock of my neighbors. Is it possible they tried it to neither plant nor harvest? How can you argue with reality? How are you going to be able to survive? You have a huge farm, you have tractors and trailers that are leased, and it's very expensive to lease this equipment. You have farmers that are working under you, that are relying on a parnasa. Be normal, be real, this is not going to work. He says, but I'm a stubborn man, I'm a yid, I'm a stubborn farmer, and I'm going to do it alone. Even though all of my neighbors were not on board, I'm doing it. I'm the only guy in the whole region that's keeping Shemitah properly. 
completely in accordance with Allah, with all of the Diktukim of Shemitah. My stubbornness, however, prevailed. Despite the claim that any person in his right mind knows that you cannot observe Shemitah, that surely Shemitah must have been intended only for those with enough grain in their silos to last for three years, that our generation is different than past ones, in spite of all these arguments, a half year has passed already and reality has lovingly embraced me. I planted everything prior to Rosh Hashanah during the sixth year. And during the seventh year I sat idle. I have neither plowed nor sowed. The crops from the sixth year that continued growing into the seventh year I have treated with the sanctity of Shemitah and I consumed them in accordance with the laws of this of the sanctity. I hope that I will come to terms with reality, or more accurately, that reality will come to terms with me in the remaining half year. My neighbors who ridiculed me have plowed and sowed during the Shemitah, but reality fought them with spiteful wrath, and all their crops have been wiped out through torrential downpours of rain. My sincere request to those who permit work to be done this year is to please forgive me for my disobedience. Perhaps they might consider re-examining the matter. Upon rethinking the issue, their minds just might conclude that the Torah is unchangeable, that observance of Shemitah depends solely on the will to do so. That was the Chazanish's beautiful letter that he wrote, and it made a ma'pecha in Eretz Yisrael. When the Chazanish issued this letter, it was in all of the, all of the newspapers in Eretz Yisrael, this letter from the Chazanish, and it showed from a farmer's perspective how you have to have a certain degree, not only of bitachin, but of shaltz. Shaltz is a Yiddish word which means pride and tenacity and a little bit of chutzpah even. That's how a Yid has to be able to, to persevere and to be able to be victorious through Shemitah. You can't go through Shemitah, you can't march through Shemitah with being a wimp. If you're afraid and you're not really so confident in yourself or in the Rabbinic Shalom or in nature, then you're not going to be able to make it through Shemitah. You just won't. You're going to buckle. Because the temptations are so great. The taivas to to plant and to harvest and to reap, to make real money, arguing with Sukkim in the Torah, which you could argue don't apply, and especially if there are heterim circulating, unless you're really resolute, and you're really, really strong-minded, and you're proud to be a Yid, and you want to stick to all of the chukim and mishpatim of the Torah in accordance to the strictest versions of halacha, unless you have that, then you're just not going to be able to make it through Shemitah. Shemitah is something which is designed to show how brazen a yid could be. How you have to be an if you have to have a certain degree of pride and, and resoluteness and steel, be made of steel in order to be able to persevere with the mitzvah satire. And I believe that that is one answer at least to mine in Shemitah Yitzhak Sinai. Because when we're discussing Harsina, when we're discussing the whole Torah, Kabbalah's Torah, which we are, Emir Hashem, going to the Makabo in a little bit more than a week's time on Shavuos, 
We have to go into Shavuos like a farmer goes into Shemitah. When you're going to be Mechabal the Torah, you can't be Mechabal the Torah unless you have the ability to be a little bit of Amche You have to be stubborn. If you're a wimp, there's no room for wimps really in the Torah because everything is so much more easy to give up when it comes to the pressures of this world. Shabbos. Very difficult to keep Shabbos. There's so many temptations. We learned this morning, after davening, we learned Perkeyavis. In the second parak, in the first mission of the second parak, there is a mission that says, Rabbein HaKadosh writes, the Atri Mechashev, the Hefzid Mitzvah Kineged Schara, and the Schara Kineged the Mitzvah. And the Rabbein Yainis says, you have to make Cheshbenes when it comes to Yiddishkeit. Because a lot of times you're going to be in a moment of temptation, it's going to be too much for you if you don't make a cheshven. If you're a person that, you know, sells ice cream in the summertime, and you own a, an ice cream store, and it's, there's a lot of people on the weekends that are coming to, you know, passing by your store, and they're hot, and they really could use an ice cream, and that's your busiest day of the week, because that's when the beach traffic is coming, or whatever it is, and here is Shabbos, you think it's not a big kaiva to keep this store open? You think it's so easy just to put a padlock on the door and say we're closed and we'll be open again after Saturday night? It's, gonna, it's impossible. Rabbi Niyana says yeah, the only way that you can actually do it is if you make a cheshmer nefesh that, yeah, maybe I will stand to gain a couple of thousand dollars if I keep the store open, but how much am I going to lose? How much Gehenna am I going to have to get for that? How much schar in Eilam Hapa, the trillions of dollars of schar that await us for keeping Shabbos? How much is that going to cost us? And you have to make cheshvainis because it's not easy to keep the tire. None of the mitzvahs of the tire are easy. When we wake up in the morning and in the winter time it's freezing out and in our bed it's nice and toasty and we have to make a cheshvain, should we go to davening or should we stay in bed? So, if you're just going to be, you know, just go with the flow and go with the taivas and go with the here and now, you're going to stay in bed. You're not going to go to Dab. The only reason why you're going down because I'm going to have a little bit of shtaltz. I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it with pride, and I'm going to do it with, with real conviction. I, I believe in something. I believe in the Rabbi Yishlam. I believe in the Taylor Mitzvahs. And I'm going to vote with my feet. I'm going to show how I believe, not just with talking about it, but I'm going to actually do something. When you're a businessman, you know how many ethical temptations there are to cut corners and to be deceitful, whether it's with taxes or whether it's with dealing with customers or, or selling a product to unbeknown, you know, you could, you could cheat, cheat in every which way in business. The only reason why a person would not cheat is because he understands that as a rabbi Israel, I'm, I'm a yid, I can't make a chil Hashem. But if you don't have that belief, if you don't have that extra tenacity, the chutzpah, the amcheyarif of a yid believing in something and living that with that belief, the Torah is going to basically be silly putty. It's, it's not going to last. You're not going to be able to do it. It's just going to be a malleable mesh because you're going to twist and form and shape the Torah in accordance to your personal wants and needs. And you're not going to make that the Torah is what stays, the Torah is, is non-negotiable. The mitzvahs of the Torah are what 
I have to do and I have to bend and shape myself to accommodate the Torah. All this we learn from Shemitah. But Shemitah and Harsinai are interconnected. Shemitah and Harsinai, just like Shemitah, needs this chutzpah of the farmer. You need the pride. Because if you don't have that, you're never going to really be able to properly keep Shemitah. With all of the mitzvahs of the Torah, a yid has to have that same exact mindset that I'm going to keep the Torah come what may. And that I'm, I'm a believing Jew regardless. And that I'm proud to be a yid. And I'm going to be an obstinate yid. Because that's the only way that I'm going to be able to make it through life as a Shemer Torah mitzvah in the proper way. In Parshas B'chukaisai, jumping to the next parsha, we have a brachas and kolos. Most of parsha is the, the terrible teichacha. But the first section of the parsha, B'chukaisai, says in B'chukaisai, Teilechu, if you keep my teirah, and Rashi says that you have a melos b'teirah, that's what it means, B'chukaisai, Teilechu, if you're a real ben teirah, you're a real shaymer teirah mitzvah, as is expected of you, you're going to get very great brachas bestowed. You're going to get Geshem in its proper time, and you're going to get close to the Rabbeinu Shalom, and you're going to have peace in the land. All unbelievable things. But the final bracha, right before the Teicha starts, is, Va'oylech eschem kaimimius. That I will lead you, says the Rabbeinu Shalom, Kaimimius. Kaimimius means, Rashi says, Bekaima Zakufa. I will lead you with a, with an upright back. You're going to walk with a straight back, with a straight posture. That's how I'm going to lead you. What does that mean? Kaimimius. This is like the ultimate bracha. This is the climax, the pinnacle of the, of the brachas of the Torah. In but more than all the peace that you're going to get, and more than all of the prominence, and more than all of the wealth that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will bestow upon a person who keeps the Torah and who studies the Torah properly, is the greatest bracha that a yid could have is the ability to walk with an upright posture. The ability to be a proud Yid, to be somebody who has pride in Yiddishkeit. Why is that such a big deal? Because if we're just Yidin without the pride, we might be Jews in name. We're Jewish, and we were born Jewish, and we're living a Jewish lifestyle, but we won't be able to get through life without succumbing to all the many temptations that are up against us. The only way that we'll be able to get through life properly, as a Yid should, is if he has what's called pride. You need to feel Jewish. You need to be proud of being a Jew. And you have to ask yourself, are you a proud Jew? Yes, we are Jewish. Yes, we keep the mitzvahs. But are we proud? Do we really feel like we have... We're the luckiest guys in the world because we are Yidin. Do we really believe that? The Rabbi Shalom says, if you keep the Torah properly, if you if you find yourself in the mind frame of a Ben Torah, 
I promise you that you will have this. You will have, I will give you the greatest bracha, more than money, and more than having a peaceful existence, being able to retire young, being able to have Geshem fall on your fields, and have bumper crops. The greatest blessing that a Yid could have is Kaimimius. It's interesting that Kaimimius is the, is the name of the Moshav, in Eretz Yisrael, perhaps the, the Moshav, the flagship Moshav for the laws of Shemitah being kept in Eretz Yisrael was Moshav Komemius. The famous Reb Mendelssohn was the, uh, was the founding Rav of Moshav Komemius, and he and his son today, who took over, they are like the, they are the spokesman. Anything to do with Shemitah, it's Reb Mendelssohn. He was always on the cutting edge, on the forefront of this movement of keeping Shemitah exactly so. He wrote, he wrote a letter to the, um, the Briskarov. The Briskarov said that it was a mitzvah of Farsim. It was a mitzvah to publicize some of the miracles that he himself saw during Shemitah in the farm called Kamemios. That there was, without going into it, but an unbelievable Nisim and Eflais, Ayin, great Jewish letters. We have, a, we have the letter that, that Remendelson wrote about the miracles of, that took place in Moshav Kamemios. There's unbelievable things, but, I just find it interesting that the Moshav is called Kaimimiyas because you need Kaimimiyas in order to keep Shemitah. And you need Kaimimiyas. You need to have a Kaimimiyas You have to be resolute. It's not just enough to be a wimpy Yid. To be a Yid and going along with the, with the tide and doing everything. But, but, but Shlepzach, like, uh, you know, we're just schlepping along. And we're not into it and we're not really convinced about anything but we're just like yawning Jews. In order to be a real yid, the biggest bracha, the ultimate bracha that the Rabbi Nisham gives us is kaimimius. That we have not just, we're not just practicing Jews, but we're breathing it and we're living it and we really mean it and we're proud of it. Are we really proud when we look in a mirror? Do we look at ourselves as we are proud Jews? Are we really proud to be Jews or are we just Jews because you know, that's what our Abayim tell us to be, that's what our parents expect of us, but we're not really excited about it. And we're not really able to do it with a full heart. We're doing it, but we're, leave us alone, it's enough. We're trying and that's it, but don't, don't expect too much from me. That's the difference between a Jew that's going to be able to get through life perfect, and a year that's going to schlep a hundred, you know, for, for the next 90 years, but like being swept along and hopefully nothing major will happen. A Jew that's really motivated and loves Yiddishkeit and loves Taira and is excited about it and that's a proud Jew, that's altogether a different life than a Jew that just does things because it's what's expected of me. Kaimimius is the biggest bracha. That's the last word of the brachas, right before the tayyachacha. You have to do things properly. You have to do things with a kaimimius kufu, with an upright back. Proud. Engaged. Excited. Motivated by your religion and by your spirituality. And if you don't have that, it's going to be very easy to buckle under the pressures of of all the temptations that surround us. I went many years to Chaim Berlin. And Chaim Berlin, it's an interesting thing. I've been to a lot of, you know, yeshivas, you see a lot of here. And when I first came, there was like, almost like, 
It was a, a strange place to be, and I'll tell you why. Because everybody there was like different than Jews that I saw in different places in the world. Most Jews, you know, are either, you know, very like, you know, sort of, you know, you know, they do it, but they're not really excited about it. Or they do it, but they do it very Hatznei Alechas. The Chaim Berliners, it's a different, different mentality. They were all like really, you know, Bali Gaiba. But I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a very, very good way. See, there's bad Gaiba and there's good guy. We know that every Midah has like two sides to the coin. You have a good one side and another side. Kas, every Midah has, you can either utilize it with Taiva or Rat. Gaiva, you think, ah, that's something, that, that's the exception to the rule. Gaiva, how could you, have, how could you be like, uh, you know, a Balgaiva in a good way? So when I came to Chaim Berlin, I learned that there's a concept called Gaiva de Kedusha, which means that you're, that there's a pride, a sacred pride, a holy, a holy conceit, which means that you shouldn't be a Jew that's like really anivistic and like, you know, walking around and schlepping and not, you know, you have to be proud. You have to look like you're proud to be a Jew. When you walk in the street, dress a proper, in a certain way, look a certain way, walk with an upright back, be, be boastful that you're Jewish. Be boastful that you're doing a mitzvah. Be into it. Go like Lahabdul, you know, you see a Goyim like going to a football stadium. And they're, they're not walking around schlepping. They're going with their Giants uniforms on, with their Jets uniforms, or their, you know, their, with their beer and their, their parties and their tailgate parties and their, and, you know, and waving their banners. They're into it. We don't do that. We go to learn. We're into it. Watch guys as they're walking to the base matter. Anyone's running to the base matter and pumped up. You know, you schlep such along, davening is like, you know, everyone's half asleep, night are half asleep, and this, you know, everything is like, you know, in Chaim Berlin, they have it a different way. I'm not saying everybody, but the real Chaim Berlin is I'm talking about. They are like, you know, it's like football. They're like, you know, they're into it. And like, you know, they're like, you know, they're all, I always call, I always it's like a room full, like 300 Rashi Yeshivas in a room. Like, you know, they're all like, they're all like, when they go home, they're, they're the Rosh Hashivas in their home, and they're like, you know, they're big, and they're broad, and they're, you know, they're, they're like, they're into it. They're into it. There's a gaiva de Kedusha. They're all saying my marim, and they're singing, and they're talking, and they're praving, and they're, they're doing it. But there's a, it's an amazing thing that means that they're into it. It means that they feel good about what they are. They feel good about themselves. They had direction in their life. They had a Rosh Hashiva or a Putner who was also like that. And he infused that spirit of Kaimimiyos into each and every one of them. And that's why Adayim, Rav Putner hasn't been alive now for about 30 years. And, but there's still, you still go into the base marriage, you think he's still alive. They're talking about the Rosh Hashiva this, Rosh Hashiva that, who are about, no, Rav Putner. They're, they're still into it. He wound them up and he and he set them off and they're on fire till today. They believe in what they're doing. They have a cause and they believe in it. Where did Rav Hutner get this from? Rav Hutner got it from his rabbi from the altar from Slabotka. The altar was a, a unique individual. Rav Nassim Finkel. Rav Nassim Finkel was a, a person 
who was an amazing mechanic par excellence. You see, in Europe at the time, going back 100, 120 years back in, 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 in Eastern Europe, there were two basic schools of thoughts in yeshivas. When Musser was very popular all of a sudden from Rizal Salanta, there was two different approaches to Musser. There was Nevardic. Nevardic-style Musser was the Musser of complete complete destruction Musser, like complete kamikaze Musser. You basically rub your nose in the ground until it's bleeding, and that's the first step of Musser. That's the first. Show that you're mamish nothing. You are the lowest speck of dirt in the world, and then we go from there. That's the, but the Hanukkah Rishayna is, a human being is trash, we should be taken, thrown into a garbage truck, taken away, and that's it. Okay, we're here, we gotta do the best. That was the style of Musser, the, you know, the famous joke about in Navardic how there was a, you know, Musser said Navardic looked something like this, they had, you know, hundreds of guys in the room. By the way, Navardic, you think, who wants to go to that yeshiva? That's like the worst yeshiva in the world. I, you know, I, I don't want to go there. There's probably like three people maybe in the whole, in the whole yeshiva. Navardic was a yeshiva system. It was, a, there was a network of yeshivas throughout Russia and Poland and Europe. I think there were over 40 or 50 branches of Navardic with thousands upon thousands of Talmidim that, that were into this style of Musser. It doesn't sound like it's appealing to American boys, but that was very, it was very popular in Europe. Navardic believed that shiftless Adam, you have to break yourself, you have to mamish, make yourself into nothing. Complete shiftless Adam, you're nothing. So these, the Musser Seder and Navardic looked something like this. Everybody was going, Oh, I'm nothing. I am a nobody. I'm a big fat zero. That's what I am. And everybody was doing that. That was Musa Seder. A new kid comes into the room, a freshie. You know, he comes into base Medish and went in Rome. Rome do, do like the Romans. He sees everybody saying that. So he also starts screaming out, you know, with his high-pitched voice. He just just turned bar mitzvah maybe. You know, Ich bin agarnished, ich bin agarnished. And then the two older guys, the, you know, Chashuv Beis guys in the row in front of him, they look around, they see this new freshie here, and they laugh. They say, ah, look who thinks he's a garnished. Look who thinks he's a nobody. But that's, you know, that was Nevardik Musser. Came along the altar from Sabotka, the great altar. And the altar from Sabotka says, uh-uh, that ain't the approach. The right approach is Godless Adam. We're going to show a human being how great you are. You're not a nobody. You are the greatest being in the world. You are the Yitzir Kapov Shalakadosh Baruch Hu. The Rabbi Shalom built you. He's, he made you. You're his handiwork. He envisioned you to be Mamish Meirai Shalom at Saifai. Learned the Gemara in Tamir the other day. Machlekes, whether or not, you know, how far is, is the world, you know, greater from one end of the world to the other, or from earth to heaven, and there's a Gemara in Chagiga that discusses that Adam Arishan was actually, you know, both. Adam Arishan, when he laid down, he was so great, he was so grand, I don't know if it means physically or spiritually or both, but his head was on one end of the world, and his feet were on the other end of the world, and when he stood up, his head, he bumped his head against Shemayim. That's how big he was. Godless Adam, do you know what you are? You're not an ant. You're not a little mosquito. The whole world was built for you. You're great. You're awesome. That was at the altar. We have a safer 
in the back of the base Medrash, are at Safa, and the Muslim Shmuzin of the altar, every Shmuz, Godless Ha'adam, everything, you could take any Sugi in the Torah, whether it's Elchaz Hashanara, or it's uh, every Mida, every, everything, he looks through it, through a prism of Godless Ha'adam, you're great. You're awesome. You are the fabulous human being. You are the Yitzir. You're amazing. And that also was very popular. It wasn't interesting. Well, I don't think it was as popular as Nevada. You don't hear about a hundred Slavatko offshoots. Not yet. Not in Europe. There would be. And it's Adayayim. But in Europe at the time, it was like a contained school of thought that I don't know how popular it was. It was semi-popular. I don't think it was as popular as Nevada, believe it or not. People preferred in a sense, to be completely belittled rather than being made to feel great. It's an interesting concept. Interesting. But the altar believed that and the altar preached that. And you know what the altar did? He says, you know how Yeshua Bachim dress? Yeshua Bachim normally they dress, you know, black and white and, you know, the penguin outfit and, and basically everybody... Uh, and, 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 and if you're really yeshivish, that means that you have like, you know, you have the whole menu of this week's uh, lunch and dinner on your one sleeve, and you have breakfast on the other sleeve, and you have, you know, and you're straggling, and your pants are torn, and your hat is, is smushed. The elders said, absolutely not. No more of that nonsense. That's not what my yeshiva is going to look like. Every guy in Slabotka, I want them to go to a fancy suit store. I'll pay for it. If you can't afford it yourself, you're going to get the spiffiest suits in the world. And you're going to get the nicest ties and the nicest hats. If you ever see pictures of guys in Slabotka, they mamish look like, I, I don't want to say it, but GQ. That's what it looks like. They look perfect. Rav as a young bachar, you see his, you know, mamish hair just so, the chuk, everything is, you know, clean shaven with like, I don't even, like, you know, the coolest look in the world. With like white double-breasted suits and like and, and hats like white white hats or, or tan hats, perfect. Mamish, they look perfect. That's how the altar envisioned his shoes shining. In fact, when Slabotka moved partially to Eretz Yisrael to Hebron, there were people in Eretz Yisrael, the old Yeshuvniks, you know, the old real you know old guard of Eretz Yisrael. Who they didn't like this. They, they saw these these cool guys coming into Hebron, and they they were like starting to make machais against them. Who are these people? Where do they land from? This is not what we're used to. Seeing people with like beautiful up hats and like you know the altar himself had like one of those cylinder hats and you know with a cane with a with a with a silver head on it, and so he he was very into why? Because if you're going to really believe that you have kaimamius. If you're going to believe in yourself, if you're going to look in the mirror and say, wow, I am able to do anything I want. I'm proud to be a Yid. I'm proud to be a Ben This is awesome. You have to look the part. You have to be proud of what you look like. The chitzainis is very important in this game because we know that if we if we dress like a shlump, we act like a shlump. And if we dress bakavadek, we look good, then we feel good. And our insides project a feeling of satisfaction and of confidence and that I want to do this. This is what I want to do. This is what my life is all about. I feel good. <coughs> That's what the altar espoused and it became very popular, not so much in Europe, a little bit in Europe, but in America, it took off. The altar sheet, the mamish took off, as you can imagine, because as Americans, 
we like, you know, we like, first of all, feeling good about ourselves. Who doesn't like to feel good? Everybody wants to feel like they're part of something, you know, corporations, football teams, baseball teams, you know, country, nation, states, cities. Everybody wants to feel rah, rah, rah about everything. And so this concept of godless Adam really appeals to American B'nai Torah. And it spawned many yeshivas in Europe, but more so in America, that really became not always exactly in that vision of the, the original Slavatka, but it took off. Lakewood, Rav Aaron Kotler, big time of the Altaf and Slavatka. Chaim Berlin, Rav Hutner, Rav David Leibowitz, Chavitz Chaim down the block. They really took it to the next level because they, you know, you see the way the Chavitz Chaim guys walk around, they have, you know, the, the suits and the hats. I don't know if they still they remember, you know, they used to wear straw hats in the summer and, you know, they have, they, they, they dress well. That's the altar sheet. That's not just I'm an accident. That's the Messiah that they have from the altar. The altar believed you have to dress in a certain way to feel good about yourself. You should look good. Nothing wrong with that. And many, many yeshivas. Neri Yisrael, Ruderman was a Talmud of the altar. Um, in Eretz Yisrael, the Mir, we know, Rav Nassim Svi Finkel's Rashiva, the Mir, he, that's a Talmud of the altar. All of these major yeshivas today, and I'm sure I'm forgetting many also, the Tervedas of Yaakov Kamenetsky, the major yeshivas in America today, one after another, one way or another, was majorly impacted by the altar. Nevardik today, you know, not so much, there, there is a little bit here and there, there's a yeshiva in, in, in Eretz Yisrael, there's a Nevardik, in Brooklyn there's a Nevardik. The stifler was a Talmud of the Alta for Nevardik. He was a Talmud of Nevardik, not surprising, the stifler was coolish, you know, shiftless Adam. You could see it on his face, the Yerushamayim, the, uh, you know, the utter, the utter and complete, hachna. Uh, no other word, there was no gaiva, it was all just tashat, you know, just learning and davening Yerushamayim, no, no outside, no, no, no zich, no gaiva, no ego. It was a different school of thought. Elu Elu, Ken, we're not here to judge who is better, who is worse. They were both existing, they were both matzliach, and they both had their appeals, you know, to different populations, and, and the Rabbi Shalom, I'm sure, got and continues to receive tremendous nachas from both malachim. But the altar believed in Kaimiyas. And when they asked the altar, well, how do you believe in this concept of Kaimiyas? This, uh, this concept of being Kaimiyas Kufa. Aren't there Chazalim that speak about, like the Gemara and Brachas, that if you're Mahalach, Dalad Amish, for Kaimiyas Kufa, it's Kilo Doich, like Ragley Ashina, it's like you're pushing the Rabbanish out of the world when you stand, when you're, when you're Gaivadik. What do you do with that? He says, that's the Trefa Gaiva. That's the guy that you feel, you know, you're the, you're the best guy in basketball. You're the best guy in learning with a, with a trait of gaiva. We're not talking about, you know, like bad ego. We're talking about positive, good ego. It's healthy to have a good self, self-esteem. You should feel good about yourself. Anivas even doesn't mean that you should feel like you're a complete low life. It's not what I mean. Anivas means I know who I am, but I know that there's a lot left for me to do. But you have to feel good about yourself in the author's eyes. You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in the movement. If you don't believe in the movement, you're not inspired, and you're not driven, and you don't really do it because you want to do it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. You'll do it, but you'll be one of these, you know, uh, you know, decaffeinated, 
you know, Jews like that aren't really, they're doing it because, you know, all the caffeine was sucked out of them. They're just doing it because I'll be to do it. You know, they don't want to be Mechal Shabbos, but it's Shabbos, a Shabbos. So they do it, they keep it, but it's not real. We, we know, we're not talking about Sam, we're talking about us. Our Yom Taivim, our Shabbosim, go to Chaim Lin on a Yom you'll see what Yom looks like. You'll see what a Chalamai looks like. My Marim and dancing, Rakidas, and they're on fire. Hasidim also have this, of course. But you have to ask yourself, are we into it or are we not into it? Do we have, not, not how much do we learn a day, and not do we go to Davani, how's our attendance? Are we into it or are we not? Do we have this kind of mias or do we not have the kind of mias? Are we walking around the kind of kuf? Are we proud to be Jewish? Or are we not? Or are we very powerful about it? There are moments that I think we are proud, but the, those moments that, are, that we're proud are, are not the right pride. There are moments that we're proud, let's say if you hear that, you know, a Jew won the Nobel Prize in economics or the Nobel Prize in mathematics. Oh, you know, your grandmother calls you from Boca and she's all excited. You know, four Jews won the Nobel Prize this year. You know, out of a total of 10, we're only 1% of the population. We win 40% and that's Gavaldic. You know, if there's a baseball player or an Israeli athlete, you know, wins a bronze medal in the chmes in, 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 in uh, synchronized swimming or some ice oh, we're Jewish, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, it's awesome being a Jew. But that's not, that's the, that's the Yiddish type that, you know, that's not what we're talking about. It helps, it's nice to know that we still have, that a Yid still could feel a little Jewish pride. But do we feel pride if we go to Williamsburg and we see Hasidim around us and the kids are learning and they're walking in the streets or whatever and you see like, oh, do we feel like we're a part of them? Do we feel, wow, pride? Or do we say, ah, you know, it's pretty low class over here, I don't know how they survive, I don't know, but, you know, do we start right away getting that look on, like, you know, like Nebuch, I'll tell you a beautiful story, um, you know, a Talmud of ours who's a, uh, he's living there in Israel today, um, his name is Daniel Glan. So he once said, told me a story that's unbelievable. He said that he had a, a grandfather who was, uh, you know, maybe he was born Hasidish, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't practicing Hasid to my knowledge. I think he was like a Holocaust survivor, an old man who lived up in, in Borough Park. And, uh, and he once called Rab Daniel, who was, he used to be the Abayas here, he called him and he said to him, right before Shabbos, says, come to me right after Shabbos is over. As soon as you make Abdullah and Yeshiva, you drive to me in Borough Park, you pick me up, and we're going to go to Williamsburg together. So he says, you sure you want one? He says, don't ask me any questions, just do it. He says, okay. So right after Abdullah or Daniel, he drives out to, uh, to Borough Park. Pixar, his grandfather was standing on the street waiting for him to come. And he jumps into the car and they drive to Williamsburg as fast as the father, the grandfather says, hurry up, hurry, hurry, hurry. And they're in Williamsburg and they're driving through the streets and it's quiet because, you know, all the Hasidim are still, they're keeping Rabbi Natam and beyond, you know, and they're, they're by the, they're by the Rebbe's Tish, by the Rebbe Shalashudas. And, and, the, and he, he rolls, they roll down the window, or they, they put down the window, and his grandfather says to him, he says, 
Shabbos Kaidesh. This is Shabbos. I want you to know what Shabbos looks This is Shabbos. The silence of Williamsburg, an hour after we let out Shabbos, that's Shabbos. Pride. Really being proud to be a Yid, being proud to be a part of Kal Yisrael. Being proud to be Avde Hashem. If you would get an internship in the Oval Office, you'd be telling every single person you ever met in your life, I got an internship. I am the, I'm the man. I have, a, I have access to the president. I could see him, right? Wouldn't we? We'd be all over. It would be Mamash. We would tell everybody everything. And your grandma, everybody would be boasting about how proud I am. My sight is in the White House. Mishaburah says right at the beginning of, of our Chaim, he says, shouldn't we be proud a little bit that we are not only serving in the White we're serving the King of Kings? We have this chus every day to be Mishamish, the Rabbanishayim, the Melech, Malchay, Amlachim. Why are we not bragging? Why don't we feel a little bit of pride, a little bit of Gaiva de Kedusha? Why? If we don't have this Gaiva de Kedusha, you could be Jewish, but you're not really able to claim that I lived a life of Shemitah. I lived a life of Taira that took us to Shemitah. I live with an Amkshay Ayref. I'm proud. If you don't have that pride, if you don't have that kaimias, you just, you'll get through it, but it'll be so tepid and so parav and so blasé that it has no taste. It'll be like a, like a piece of chicken that has no salt and no, just a iskevashna, you know, like just something that was boiled in water and eat it. It's not gishmak, it has no taste. Yiddishkeit, in order to be real, has to have a gishmak. You have to be proud. And if you're not proud, how are your kids going to look? At least our parents maybe were a little proud, or our grandparents. If we're not proud, how are we going to be able to give it over to our kids, our grandkids? What are they going to look like? <coughs> you have to have gaiva when you're walking in the path of Hashem. How we do this is tarachian. There are certain ways to do it. Certain ways are external, like the altar. You know, the Taz says that the reason why the two birchas hashacharis of Eizah Yisrael, the Gevura, and Eitzah Yisrael, the Sifara, have the shame Yisrael in them, is because these are two things that are not just universal hanois, like wearing shoes and you know, and, and a rooster crowing in the morning and. And, and, and being able to, to walk and being able to see it, all those, that's the universal thing. There's only two things that a yid, that really defines you as a yid. And that's Isaiah Yisrael B'Gavura wearing a chagura, having tzniyas so that the lave is not rayas ha'erba, having tzniyas of a yid, wearing the proper big day, the godam of a yid with a, with a proper chagura, and wearing a hat. Aiter Yisrael B'Sifara, the crown, the crown of a Yid, with pride, B'Tifara, Aiter Yisrael B'Sifara, the pride of a Yid is wearing a kova, that's what, that's what the Taz says, and the Shavura brings it, whether a kova, you say it means, I mean, it's a yarmulke, it's a hat, it's a, it's a cap, whatever it is, I'll tell you one thing, Goyim, when they see a person on the street wearing a cap, they know he's a Jew. 
In America, they know he's a Jew. In Europe, they really know he's a Jew. I went to Europe many times, and I would wear a cap, and they would, and they would, the guy and were looking at me like they wanted to kill me. They know that's that's what a yid is. Part of the uniform of a yid, whether or not we're, you know, we want to we want to believe it or not. So many guys come over to me every year. Right? What's this thing with a hat? Why do you, you know, why do, why are all these rabbis wearing the hats? Why are the the the, the former guys in yeshiva wearing hats? What's the hat? It's a hat. And the answer is, you know, and this might be not so politically correct, and if you don't believe in wearing a hat, you don't care. This is not at all, this schmooze is not designed to make everybody wear a hat. That's not. I'm just telling you, if you're asking the question, the answer is that wearing a hat is your uniform for being a... You try joining, you know, the, uh, the New York Jets, all right, and saying, you know what? I'm not going to wear a football helmet, okay? I don't wear a helmet. I'm just going to wear, I'm just going to go completely bareheaded, okay? See how long you last on the team. Not just because of the safety regulations, because the team of the Jets wears that green green helmet. That's what you have to do. You don't want to wear the green helmet? Fine, but you're not a Jet. If you want to be a part of the yeshiva, yeshiva movement, if you want to have a guy with the Kedusha that I feel like a Ben Tyra, I mean, it doesn't have to be that. If you, you know, if you want to be a Merkaz Arab guy, you have to wear a Kippasru guy. You have to. You go into Merkaz Arab, you wear a leather yarmulke, they're gonna say you're not part of us. And they're right. This is not a, this is not a commercial for yeshiva versus this. I'm just saying whatever it is that you're trying to be a part of, you have to dress the part because if you don't, you could stay, you're matriculated, but it's not the same. You won't feel it. You won't feel that gaiva. You won't feel like I'm a part of a movement. You have to have sometimes the externals to, in order to ignite the internals. That's just the way it is. The first pasuk in Sefer Tehillim, I think really perhaps gives us the best reason. And you know why? Because I gave this schmooze, or a little bit of a different one, but, but basically this schmooze, I gave it to alumni on Wednesday night. So I gave an alumni share. That's my, you know, that's my prep for, for the schmooze. And it's a dry run. And, and I said this, and, and one of the people, he wasn't an alumni, but he was a, a very good Hashiva Balabas. And he said to me afterwards, you know, you said that about the hats. He says, but I must tell you that a lot of times, you know, if you're just preaching about the hat, that's not enough. Because you can look in the papers and there's scandals and chilashems about people wearing hats. So what are you telling me? Don't make that the hat is the big thing, and that's going to be the answer. That's going to be the Judah because a lot of times I'm not really proud of the people wearing hats. And he's right. He's right. But it's certainly a start. And after you have that start, look at the first Pasuk in Ashrei. The first Pasuk in Ashrei, I think, really tells how a person could be the first Pasuk in Tehillim, which starts with Ashrei. Ashrei is a hard word to describe. We say it every day, Ashrei Shavesacha. You know, when you say you daven it up, you know, he knows something well. He knows it like Ashrei. Ashrei is something everybody knows Ashrei. What does the word Ashrei mean? It's a very big machloikis amongst the Mepharshim, what the definition of Ashrei means. But basically what it means is you're proud. You're fortunate. Ashrei. You're ma'ushar. You're, you're certified. You're, you're authorized. You're real. Ashrei. Who's Ashrei? How do you find that pride? Who's Mushar? Ashrei. 
David HaMelech starts off telling with, Ashrei Ha'ish, proud is the man, good is the man, you know how you are proud. You know how you're fortunate. You know how you're going to have kaimamiyas. Two ways. The first way is you have to be surmeira. If you're wondering, Taka, why am I not so proud? Why am I not proud to be in yeshiva, to be a yeshiva guy? Why am I not pumped up? When you go to the Asifa Mirz Hashem on Sunday, notice different types of people, and you'll see the yeshiva guys, they're going in with skulls, they're proud, they're good, they're rocking. And then there are people that are being like, you know, I don't know, you know, we're here to, we'll, we'll say some jokes, and we'll ask, you know, is there beer here, or is there cholent here, like what do they sell? You know, those, there's different types. How do you, how do you become a guy that's pumped up? How do you guys that's going with a mission with that? Two things. First of all, like this. You have to be lehalach atasushan. If we hang out with people that are cynical people, that are full of constant complaints and shtachs and, 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 and swipes at Yiddishkeit and making fun of this and making fun of that and being half-baked with this and half-baked with that, if we are very into the world at large, and we're, you know, we're on Facebook, and we're on, you know, and we're on, we're on this, and we're on that, and we're talking to this girl, and we're talking to that guy, and we're like Goyim and Jews, and we're all one people. You're not going to have that ashram. You're not going to be able to be Mushar. You're not going to have the Gaiva and the Kaimiyas because you're watered down by your affiliations. You're, you're embarrassed almost to stand out. You want to be one of the crowd. You want to be one of everybody else. You're not looking to be, you know, to be unique. And to be an Am Levada Yishkan. You want to sort of melt into the rest of the world. I don't want this. So the first thing that Dovin Amal says right at the, right out of the gate of Tilim, if you want to be a proud Jew, if you want to have Kaimamiyos, you have to make sure not to be in a Mesh of Leitzim. Don't be with cynical, scornful, negative people. Don't hang around with a chevra that's not into it. Don't be influenced by goyim and by people that are not good for you. Or by the old friends that do nothing but pull us down and make us question who we are. Hang out with people that are good. Then you will have the kaimamiyas. Go to the right chevra. And then you have to do the asetayv. Which is keep materas Hashem chapsay b'sayrasa yagayem malayla. You have to lig in learning. You have to be a real bentayra. You have to wake up with a. My rabbi always say you have to go to sleep with a kasha and wake up with a tarets. You have to think in learning. You have to speak in learning. You have to go with a geshmat. Go to davening and go to learn and and talk in learning and write chidushetayra and publish chidushetayra. Be into it. If you're into it, you'll be proud. If you're not into it, you're not affiliated. You don't know what it looks like. You don't, you're not in, you're not, you're not. That's Ashrei. Ashrei Ha'ish, you want to be one of these fortunate people that are able to make it through Shemitah, make it through Kalatayra Kula, make it through life proud. Get rid of all the trappings of society around you that are waning and that are sapping at your very essence. They're chipping away at who you really need to be. Stay away from those people, David Amalek tells us. 
Learn Tyra, be in a chevra b'nei Tyra, be focused on serving the Rabbi Yisrael proudly. Such a person is Asher. Such a person is, you will stand, you will march with an upright back through life, through the thick and the thin. When things are good, you'll be happy and proud, you'll have a mishpacha and you'll be dancing as a Yid and show them how great Yiddishkeit is, show them Asherinu Matayv Chalkeinu. When things are bad, this is what my, my fate is, this is my destiny. Shema Yisrael, the Rabbi Yisrael is here, I'm proud of every moment. There are people in the concentration camps that went to their death, went to the gas chambers singing, And if that sounds bizarre to us, it's because we're not holding there. But if we were holding there, it's tover, of course, geschmack to be a yid. Even at the threshold of a shower, of a gas chamber, you could sing because it's what the Abish wants. I'm going proud. And the Nazis couldn't stand that. The Nazis tried to break the spine of the Yid. They tried to make them demoralized. But they weren't able to because the Yidin that died were Yidin that lived. They knew how to live. They lived with Kedusha Vitara, they live with a Geshmak, with a Ratzin. And so when they died, they were not able to be put down either. They went to their death, Ba'ava, and with a Geshmak, because that's their life. Halavai, we should learn the lessons of Shemitah, to be that farmer, to be that Yid, that has the Amche Eref, if we're able to have all of these things, then we will be able, Mirza Hashem, to march forward strongly, assuredly, with our head held high, proud of who we are, and nothing will phase us, nothing will be able to stand in the way of the Heilech B'derech Hashem, Kenyi Ratz